The Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art, as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Zar. What's up, Mike? Hey, Chet. It's too hot. It's too hot for October. I don't know about you, but I feel like my October has been stolen from me. Well, I'm sorry. I do not feel that way. It's like here it's been like during the days, basically the warmest it gets is like 72. Uh, and then it's like typically around like 68 and uh, it's like li- lightly breezy and it's uh, all the beautiful colors turning. It's all super fall, blue skies every day, sun shining. I don't want that. I want gray skies. I want well, I know, autumn I know leaves. Want, I want but wind, have- breeze, wind. You know, like fall supposed yeah, to you, be. You li- but you you live in California, man. It used to be like that when I was a kid. We used to, you could totally feel the the fall. Yeah, and- how how old are you now? It's been a long time since you were a kid. Yeah, I'm almost fifty. Right, so you know, shit happens, man. The weather changes. Watch the weather change. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of a bummer. I'm tr- having a hard time getting into the um, Halloween spirit here, but. Um, I'm trying. Well, that's, that start- is a bummer because I'm feeling it because like the colors here are off the hook. And yeah. I'm, you know, I'm in this valley with all the cottonwoods. Right. And so it's just like riotous, like yellows and reds and oranges and it, you know, it's, and everything's falling. And there's that smell of the tannins, you know, mm. that, that are coming out. And it's like that, that autumn smell, the tannins and the leaves and stuff. Lucky. Plus I've been outdoors. I've been tromping, you know, I've been hiking a lot. My folks were here and I did a lot of hiking and I've had friends over, been having fires out in under the stars. In fact, last night was the peak of the Orionid meteor shower because we were actually passing through the tail uh, you see uh, any? of the Orionid. And uh, I saw one on Thursday night, but I didn't mm. see any last night. I actually, I actually had other things going on last night that prohibited me. But I had a friend that watched it last night and said it was amazing. Every time there's a meteor shower or something like that, I go outside at the time they say it's supposed to be happening the most. And then I look up for about 30 seconds and then I go back in and I think I'm not going to sit here <laughs> for three yeah, hours. You, gotta, you, gotta, you just got to give it a cigarette length, you know, <laughs> sit outside for 10 minutes, smoke a whole cigarette and just watch the sky and you'll definitely see some. Yeah. I mean, I saw one on Thursday that was like, literally it went across the entire sky. I mean, normally I see them here and they're entering the atmosphere, but this was like, you know, it went all the way across the sky and left a streak the whole oh, way. Cool. It was incredible. It was like, Jesus oh. Christ. Actually, I saw it. And then Joyce said, oh, you know what's going on? She's like, we're in the Orionids. And right. I was like, oh, so it wasn't just a fluke thing. You know, I thought I saw right. some amazing thing, but, you know, it was, we're just in the tail of the New Year showers. Right. Well, I guess we're going to do um, part two or part four, depending on how you want to look at it, of the Q&A. Right. Part two of the last time, part four of the overall Q&A thing. So. Indeed. And we've got all the all the questions we didn't get to from last week, and uh, I guess we're going to do that, right? Yeah, that's what we're going to do today. It'll be pretty low key. Yeah. Well, people seem to like it. We've been getting good uh, reviews and stuff about the Q and A. So, yeah, let's do it. All right. So we left off. The last person that we had was Lori Brown, and the next person, the first person to start, is the amazing Lorna Mess. Hello, Lorna Mess. Okay, so she says it's the Trumpocalypse. 
you can only save two pieces of art, one from <laughs> you and one from someone else. What pieces and why? I think this is a, really a great question. Yeah, that's, but you know, um, huh. I guess mine, I would probably grab Black Magic. And so, would you like beat Chris Velasco up for it? Yeah, I would go and like beat go him over up. there, like with a baseball bat, no, and, like he, thump on it. He prob- probably beat me up. He's got some big guns there, big arms. Um, <laughs> uh, God, I can't even think of, of another. That requires, you know, like at least twenty-four hours of thinking. I should have read all these questions, but. Well, let's say let's say it doesn't have to be out of your art collection. It could be any piece of art. You're that's, just going to go and I'm take saying. it from whomever. That's what I'm. That's the question, right? Is it, well, I don't know. She didn't specify. Yeah, she said it was one was yours, and then one was just someone else. But that but that could be interpreted as another artist whom you collect that you possess. What's the, what's the question? Or read the question be, again. Can you read the question again? Yeah, <clears throat> you can only save two pieces of art. One from you. And one from someone else. What pieces and why? And what I'm saying is that could be interpreted as someone else, like anybody else, or someone else is in another artist whom you collect that you possess. Their, their I think art. I think I I take it as any art piece in the world that I could save from another then, artist. So do, do I would say okay, just for the sake of argument, I'm going to say that Bekshinsky painting. It's called Untitled. <laughs> which is, ah, no, no. There's a, there's one. Which, I, which untitled is it? Yeah, that's that's the joke. It's 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 the one. It's like a. It's. It's like a a valley with all these, not a valley, more like a crevice, chasm, chasm, of of all these, you know, skeletal bodies with World War II helmets on them. A lot of them have, and they're all, you know, maybe we could post a picture of it or i don't know i'll post a picture of it once we yes find it and send it to me or i'd say you know any yeah there's a bunch of but it i don't know that's too it's too vast the question is too vast sorry lorna well he would he he would pick a bekshinsky obviously probably i don't know okay sorry all right so and i'm not doing like replies on the uh, any of these threads okay because these are all these are screenshots i screenshot them on the day so if you you missed out it was because you didn't do it on you know you didn't meet the deadline okay lorna comes in again here she says (laughs) which author has inspired you the most it's a good question yeah probably stephen king i would say yeah yeah i have a lot of my artwork is very you know there's a lot of reference unintentional un- references to the gunslinger series mm-hmm. and and the uh what's the one he did with peter straub uh, he, he did a couple he did black house and he did the talisman the talisman the talisman was a huge influence on me so i get you know a lot of that post-apocalyptic western vibe but yeah mm-hmm. all of stephen king i just watched salem's lot again last night which is really That's cool or not fun. last night two nights ago um yeah. Not as good as not as good as the book by any stretch of the imagination. No, none of them are really. Yeah, have you? But I mean, okay, it's a tangent. Here we go. But have you yet got on audiobook Duma Key by Stephen King? No. Hey, you need to do it because seriously, it's about a painter, an oil painter, yeah, and you will absolutely love it. Okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I and the other you. one is, and the other one I'm going to drop right now is Lizzie's story. Lizzie's story, All right. because that's another amazing, highly underrated Stephen King piece. I'll do it today. 
I've got credits on my Audible account. But so. do McKee first. That's more important. All right, do McKee. Okay. I'm going to do it. Stephen King. So on. Lorna, again, you can travel in time to experience one event of your choice. What is it? Hmm. Again, so vast. So vast. I like a Lorna historical and her vastness. <laughs> uh, sh- I, you know, I'm not really that into time travel. Yeah, I'm not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, like you know, being really into historical events. You know, I, I, mm. history is really interesting to me, but. I, I'm not like, I know a lot of people are like really into, you know, the day JFK got assassinated or, uh, you know, big historical events. Uh, so I, uh, I, I'm at a loss once again. I'm sorry, Lorna, but you did, you know, for, you did get more than one question. So that's true. That's so you true. got, well, you, you know, got two I mean, shitty half answers. <laughs> she can, she can just pose the question again when we do more Q and A. That's true. And you'll have time to think about it. Yeah, I should think about it. I know you're going to stay up all night tonight thinking about it. I apologize for not thinking about that. That's a big question. That's a good question. Nothing popped into my head, so that's... Well, there you go. It doesn't taste like anything, so... Okay, (laughs) moving on. (laughs) Eric Tengren. Mm -hmm. What's up, Eric? He's awesome. I met him recently at Conjoined in person. Yeah, he's great. Awesome. Uh, Let's see here. How does tragedy and adversity in life affect your art? Wait, is it cathartic to express yourself then, or is it more difficult? Uh, I think it's, I think it's easier because when you're emotional, you tend to, you know, one way or the other, when you have a lot of emotions, I think it's kind of easier to me, for me anyway, it seems to come out more easily on the canvas. Um, that painting I did of uh, my dad after he died was just like pretty easy, came right out, you know, wasn't a lot of struggling with that. And I think that was like a good, good way to deal with that emotional, sad experience. So um, I think it, uh, it influences me, but also on a, on a kind of a subconscious level, it, it gets into my work because I just tend to focus on, you know, the tragic side of things or the sad side of things. So, yeah, I would say it's a kind of a, a positive way, to d- actually a therapeutic way too, mm-hmm, to deal with mm-hmm. those things, put it into your art. So I think it's kind of, I, I think it's, for me, it's... uh I'm just trying to think of different instances, but it's well. I, I can think of one real quick because uh, you know the painting Heart Eater. Right. You know, that was yeah, that you true. saw something mm-hmm. that was tragedy. You experienced it. You know, I, I know you've told that story before on the podcast, right. but um, you know that I just remember that's what came to mind for me. It was like because that was a very direct correlation. It was like you saw this news clipping when you were hanging out with Tommy Lee in Germany, and it was so fucked up that it inspired you to do this painting, and it was a way to show the inhumanity of humanity. Right, right yeah. by making it into this monster. Yeah, and it, that was my first impulse was, oh, I got to paint that. And so it right. was kind of an easy painting too. So I say, yeah, it it is right. it is good for that. Bueno. Uh, Jim Sufert, mm-hmm. how do you overcome crippling self-doubt? Um, you know, I've never, 
I, I, I don't think I've had a lot of crippling self-doubt. I've always been, I've had crippling self-doubt in every other aspect of my life, but not in with art. I've always felt really confident about that. And I think that's probably because my, my mom was so supportive of it. So she mm-hmm. instilled that very early on. So I've always been kind of confident in that arena, but um, crippling self-doubt, crippling self-doubt. Hmm. I mean, I mean do, you have, do you have any, do you have any ideas on how someone else might overcome crippling self-doubt? Well, but I, you know, it's, it sounds simple and obvious, but I, I always just say, just, just do it, just do it, just go for it, just dive in and not, and, and before you have a chance to really think about it, before you have a chance to think too much. You guys didn't know that Chet was sponsored by Nike. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he, he's, he says just do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with Chet. I mean, I think that for myself, when it comes to self-doubt, self-doubt implies that the self is producing the doubt, right? And if we want to take that self down to the idea of the ego or the identity or this idea we have of ourself, this little voice in our head that tells us we can and we can't and it's possible and impossible and all of this – I think that the way that I have found to overcome that is to engage in activities which cause that voice to shut down, right? Mm-hmm. And for everybody, that's different. When you're painting, that's what happens for you. That voice shuts down, you know? Right. So your process of creating art is also therapeutic and meditative in its own way. Whereas for me, what, you know, like hiking is really good for me or physical labor, like really busting my ass doing major physical labor. I can't, that voice does not exist. It can't exist. Mm-hmm. I'm occupied, you know? Right. So I would say at least, you know, in, insofar as providing some kind of information for people that it's, it's important to find a way to shut that voice down, you know, mm-hmm. however that is. I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it, whether it's meditative or otherwise. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, so, I you know, I, I also would add that, um, I, I've, I feel like, you know, I, I've had, I guess it's coming down. Self-doubt is like really about fear, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And so I've been, definitely been afraid to do things related to my art. Like, should I have this show? Should I, should I, you know, do this, I don't know, event or speak at this thing or whatever. And uh, I've always kind of just felt like, if if the if the voice is there, there's probably a uh, a great re- reward for you, you know. If the voice is there, it probably means you should do it. So it's it's mm. you know not that it really helps. So on it's ha- like the I'm sorry, go ahead. No, not that it helps. Doesn't help you on getting over the fear, but it's almost like well, if this thing is telling me I don't want to do this because I'm afraid, then I probably I really probably should, and you know, then I just just make myself do it, you know. I think that's the that probably is getting really to the core, like cracking the nut, because, you know, it's like that the idea of the whole feel the fear and do it anyway, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, and that that exists on many levels, too, because I mean, something as simple as like, you know, I used to be really afraid of yellow jackets and wasps and stuff like terrified, like, I, you know, you never seen a six foot three man throw his arms and legs around and scream like, you know, mm-hmm. like I would. And it was it was disproportionate to the threat, you know, and I learned by immersing myself in you know, immersion therapy to whatever degree, but uh, making myself actually be with them and not lose my shit, you mm-hmm. know? And it, so I was afraid. I felt the fear. It, d- it didn't not exist, but rather I just was like, well, I'm going to do it anyway, you know? Right. And you could take that then to a bigger thing. Like for instance, just one more example. I remember driving home one night from work 
and I saw this you know, mountain that I had been hiking a lot and it's really tall and it was, it was a full moon that night. And I was like, you know, that'd be so cool to hike up at night under the full moon, like with no lights, just mm-hmm. hike it, you know? And then I got super scared at the thought of doing it. So I went home, parked the car, got my dog, got packed up, headed up there, parked my truck, left all the lights in the car. So I had no choice and started wow. hiking up the mountain, <laughs> you know, and my Tula and I went all the way to the top. You know, it was like just, a 3000, 3000 foot gain in three miles, serious hike just, under the full moon. You just did it. Yeah, I just did it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, so in reality, I think that that's great advice from Chet. All right. Thank you. Right. <laughs> Michael R. Miller. Do you feel there's a connection between how detailed one paints a monster and the power or fear the entity continues to hold over you? Question mark. Hmm, that's kind of an interesting question. And then he says, wait, let me just go on. In parentheses, he says, I believe Chet mentioned he doesn't fear his creations. So it'd be more in a general question. Eh? Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't fear my my monsters. If, if anything, I feel more like uh I love them. So uh I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's that would depend on the artist really you know it's it's hard to say because sometimes you paint a painting that you're totally into and it's looser and it's more about the energy of the painting and that can have kind of uh i have paintings like that i've been able to do that are very loose and you know fast but Mm -hmm. but um i have a real attachment to them because there's something about the energy there that I like. So it kind of, I don't know that that's necessarily true, that it's always the case that if your stuff's detailed, Mm -hmm. the creature would have more of a hold on you. And I don't think it's true really that, I mean, not from my experience that creating some kind of monster in a painting is that the creature would have any hold on you. It seems like when the, the creature is not expressed is when it has the hold on you. Yeah, mm-hmm. because that's that's at the core of the whole dark art thing. I mean, that's yeah, kind yeah. of the, the thesis, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like keeping things buried and and not facing them. Um. So yeah, I guess that's. I think that's yeah. great. Okay. <laughs> this is this is actually a really good question, and I'm curious to to hear what you say, Chet. Okay. Um, Dos Diablos here, and we loved you on our show, brother. Uh, he says your way to deal with trolls, please. <laughs> well. Like my wife says, don't respond to them mm-hmm. because it's not fair to all the people that are giving you nice comments too. And I just just today saw someone doing that, that they had, you know, there's all these nice comments, then someone trolled them and then they responded to the one, and I'm guilty of that too. They responded to the one troll. Uh, so I think ignoring is the best thing you can do. Best mm-hmm. way to take the power away from a troll. I agree. They want They want attention. They want interaction. They want someone, you know, arguing with them so just ignore and if it's and if the comment is really offensive or or a lie or whatever just delete it and then ignore it it's yep. your it's your your page you know you can curate the comments yep you know so well that's i mean that's my mo for sure mm-hmm. i would i would have said the exact same thing you know i've never I had mean, a good experience and then furthermore and furthermore if you need to you can always block somebody you know i mean you can also block people from pages you run so it's not just like you know i could i i only have what i i actually checked the other day i have like nine people 
that I have had to block over the, the you know, seven years I've been on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not, that's not that many, you know, yeah. and it was just because they were abusive. And so I blocked them. But when it comes to pages, if someone's going to be abusive on your page, you can block them from your page too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, whatever page you're operating. So I would say with Chet, you know, I, but I also have a tendency to feel the need for transparency and at times will leave troll comments in there, even though I won't engage with them. Right. Um, because I think that it's part of the conversation, you know? Yeah, now, there yeah. are also instances where, again, if it's abusive or offensive or right. derogatory in a way that I don't appreciate, then, yeah, I'll just delete it and I won't engage in it. Because like Chet says, you know, that's what they want. And I've dealt a lot with it because, you know, I run that – The if you guys haven't checked it out, you guys should go over and look at uh, Slender, the word Slender, chance.com, slenderchance.com. Uh, it's it's a bit of a, a page that gets people's hackles up, <laughs> and it's uh, in support of Morgan Geyser and and Ge- Morgan Geyser's family, Matt Geyser and Angie Geyser. And I won't say a lot about it, but you guys should check it out. Anyway, you know, I've had a lot of real negative stuff come about as a result of that. And the way you deal with it is imperative. And really, the cold shoulder is the best approach. Any engagement whatsoever, in any way, shape, or form is only going to feed the beast. You yep. know, it's just the reality of it. Yeah, I agree. Well, moving on to Scott Holloway, do you create contracts for a commission or a payment plan? I don't do contracts. I do. Um, you know, I, 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 I have never been a big contract guy unless it's with, you know, a a corporation or something, you you know, and they usually want you to sign the contracts. But what I do is um, just get a deposit. I've said this, I think probably the last episode, I think maybe is, is you get a deposit and that's kind of like, okay, that's your um, guarantee that they're not going to blow you off because they're not going to have wasted their deposit. So, you know, some people, it's, I guess it depends on your, you know, how you, if you like, contracts you feel safe that way but i you know it's i have such kind of like a close relationship with my collectors at least at this point in my career that i i pretty for the most part i know them and i you know we trust each other so there's no need for a contract and anytime there's you know no need for a contract i'm i'd rather do it that way when possible Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so maybe if it's someone you didn't know or someone that you weren't sure you could trust for some reason but uh, it's it's weird because that automatically puts up like a this kind of distrust thing when you have a does. when you have a contract right off the bat, you know. Well, and and the reality is the a contract is only as good as your ability to pursue said contract. Yeah. Right. And what I mean by that is is that it's all well and good to have a contract, but if you can't afford to actually pursue a lawsuit, then that contract doesn't really mean anything anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's true. So that's my thought. Yeah, and it, it, that was specifically about painting, so I won't chime in there because I work in a totally different field where contracts mean a whole different thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael Casas, uh, Ca- wait, Casisa. Sorry, Michael Casasa. Thank you. That's um, I was going to work on it for a while there. <laughs> Will you work in the film industry again if the project is right? Yeah, I would do it if the project was right. I would do something for a Guillermo film, um, a tool video. Uh, you know, anything that, yeah, if it was good, if I had the time, if I was able to make the time for it, I'm not, I've got a better perspective on the film industry now that I've been out for a while. So, um, I'm not so, you know, emotional about it anymore. I don't know how it all works. So if I could, if, if, if I had the time 
And if it was a good project and the money was decent, I would definitely do it. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm not totally against the, and, and I'm not totally against the film industry. And at this point I've been able to do so much of my own work that it's not such a big deal to work on someone else's thing at this point, mm-hmm. you know, because before I was just, had been doing all film stuff and dying to do my own stuff and I wasn't getting the opportunity, but now it's been like, you know, years and years. So it makes sense. Yeah. All right. So we've got Michael H. Moulton here. You've expressed experience, excuse me. You've expressed experiencing profound moments of synchronicity parentheses, ego death painting at Copro comes to mind mm. as well as a need to remain open and aware to it as a cosmic possibility. Correct me if I'm wrong. Can you elaborate the quality by which this affects your sense of spirituality, meaning, artwork, memory? Question mark. Well, you know, it's funny. I was just, I don't, I was just talking to, right before the podcast, I was talking to Christopher Ulrich and he was telling me about this crazy synchronicity that, you know, it's, it's, I won't mention what it is just because it's, um, you know, his own something he's working on and, and, and the situation is, I don't know. I'll let him tell it. But uh, I, you know, I, I always think that tend to think that it's just, it's kind of, it means it, it, it's always a lot of times it's a, it seems like a nod, just like a wink or whatever from that, that, that reality is conscious, you know, that God is real. If you want to say it that way and that you're on the right track, you know, and sometimes mm-hmm. I see people having these negative synchronicities happen that and it makes me think it's kind of like saying hey you're not you're not on the right track everything you know Mm -hmm. you're having these terrible rounds of bad luck that just won't will not end and you know you're also behaving this way so that might have something to do with that so i Mm -hmm. I, but generally you know the the synchronicities they seem to be these to me they seem to be in my experience they've either been positive or totally innocuous like silly and ridiculous and like oh my that's just you know, it doesn't pertain to anything important, but it's just so ridiculous. You know, like when you're reading a reading something in a book and, and someone on the TV says the same word at the exact same time, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. which I've had happen before. So um, it, it, to me, it's, you know, aside from the, the the idea that it's kind of a signpost saying you're on the right track, it, it's also just like a little. A nod, you know, that, you know, letting you know that the that that hey the universe is conscious and aware and communicating with you in a mm-hmm. way you know not in a non-verbal way right right and if you think about it if you know if god is this or whatever you want to call it is this huge immense thing that is everything so far beyond our puny puny i mean the the, the puniness of our brains compared to the infinity of reality is so nothing it's almost like how would you you know like i always say how would you communicate as a human being how would you communicate with an ant well you couldn't even communicate with an ant but um you know a reality as this conscious being communicating with you it seems like it wouldn't necessarily be through words through Mm -hmm. human language it would be through life 
occurrences, yeah, circumstances. Occur- exactly. Yeah, yeah. E- events, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's why I always say there, you know, there are no coincidences. And I really, I actually fundamentally believe that, <laughs> you know. I don't, I, I don't think that, now that isn't to say that things don't happen that we don't like, but it, what we color it with is our perceptions of it. You know, our judgments as to whether something's good or bad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that these things do happen and these things do align, you know? And so it's, you know, you can, you can go through your life saying, oh, well, God, it was just a, what a weird coincidence, you know, and that's fine. Or you could, you could look at it and say, wow, what a synchronicity, you know? Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that whichever you choose is going to be the filter now that you're pursuing that endeavor through, you know, and so that now your perception, which is coloring everything, affects the potential outcome. So if you're thinking, oh, well, it didn't mean anything, well, you might have just missed a really important sign. Whereas if you're re- over, re- you're saying everything's a synchronicity, you yeah, know, what I that's mean? when you get in there to the cra- craziness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Crazy so land. There, you know, yeah, there's, there's a median in there for sure. Yeah. All right. Okay. Chris Hackard, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> Very funny. It's a movie, a Monty Python movie from the 80s. It's really funny. It's really great. I recommend that everybody watch it. That was a really good answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, the, the, seriously, it's, I don't think it could be put into words. You know, I think that even the word mean, meaning isn't, isn't a big enough word to describe reality it's too big mm-hmm. i think that's a good answer too yeah so uh, I, you know if i was gonna put one last thing <laughs> i'll just say you know the probably the closest thing i could come to to, to answering that would be to say love there you go okay there you go on to the next question carl ingram love carl's artwork uh, custom frames exclamation point for those of us that aren't personally friends with Lee Shamel, how would you recommend we go about it? Can you get usable molding and casting materials from regular hardware stores? What do you cast them with? Please and thank you. Uh, no, you can't really get that stuff. I don't think at not any hardware stores that I've seen. If you go to the, I think the best place to go is YouTube tutorials for sculpture casting sculpture search uh resin casting search silicone mold making and and you got to do the research on your own but um also if you go to smoothon.com i think it's s m o o t h hyphen o n.com they have all kinds of videos cuz they're trying to you know push their products and they do have really user friendly uh products and uh, they're a little more expensive because they are so user friendly and the you know their chemicals are color coded so that you know the bottles are co- uh, color coded so you don't use the wrong chemicals and stuff like that but they are you know whereas a lot of places I, I get my stuff from they're more geared towards the industry or the film industry or prop industry so it's like everybody kind of knows what they're doing in that in that industry but uh, smooth on stuff seems to be geared towards you know people just average people that want to learn so they have a lot of tutorials on there so you can you know but you have to you have to uh buy from specialty places you know there's only a handful of places that sell all that stuff but um smooth on is the place i always 
direct people to that are interested. And also I did a, a um, an article, step-by-step article on how I do my frames in, uh, I don't, I don't remember which uh, issue it was, but evolved. I think it's called mm-hmm. e- evolved magazine. Mm-hmm. So, I think which is E hyphen evolved E O L V E D. Yeah, and I know there was a people were talking on a thread, so maybe someone, if you know the answer of the of which issue it is, you could uh, put it in the comments because I think I want to say it was Kenny Rains maybe posted in the, in a comment thread. People are asking about this very question, and um, it might even be in this thread. Uh, and he knew, or somebody knew the the. Um, the number of the uh, the uh, magazine. So I do have a step by step in there. It's pretty easy with photos and everything. So um, yeah. Well, and I think Evolved has they are. I think they do. They archive their stuff online. So their articles. Oh, okay. Cool. I think. Uh, okay. So that's good information. Michael H. Moulton again. How's the guitar playing coming? What inspires you to put down the paintbrush and pick up the guitar? What are your go-to riffs or do you just fuck around with whatever sounds cool? Yeah, I just mess around with whatever sounds cool. Um, I, I, I stopped. I was, I went kind of crazy around Christmas and wrote a bunch of stuff and kind of got into it again. And then I got back into, I don't know. I, I recorded some stuff. I started getting into recording again and then I got back to the painting and now, you know, I, it's, I haven't played guitar in a long time. I've been playing the bass, which I really enjoy. And I just pick it up when I don't want to paint and I just want to relax, just jam on some riffs. And, you know, I use it as a stress reliever and I I really enjoy it. But uh, I haven't really gotten back into it because, you know, I've got, I'm so far behind on everything. So, uh, work comes first, relaxation comes second. (laughs) Yeah, always. So yeah, I don't have enough time really to put into it at this point, but uh, I do record everything. I I play and I get these little riffs that pop in my head and I record them. So I've got like 150 of these little riffs recorded on my phone for the day I ever do go back to it. They're great. He When he was going crazy, quote, he was sending them to me like all the time. Like every time <laughs> he wrote one, he'd send it to me and I would listen to it too because they're they are badass. And I've actually been listening to his his uh, band is for a long time, ever since I, you know, first got involved with him. So for God, you know, five years or something. But anyway, um, yeah, so I, I, and also if anybody doesn't know this already, or they're just tuning into the Dark Art Society podcast, the music at the beginning and the ending is, is Chet's music. So. That's yeah. That's one of those riffs from around there's, the holidays. That. <laughs> that's a riff from the holiday. It's all heavy. It's great. <laughs> holiday riffs by Chet Czar. <laughs> So we've got a thing here where, you know, I was screenshotting these and I didn't click, click, you know, see more on any of them because I was just going through and screenshotting. So Chad Harry and asks a pretty good question, but the the vast majority of the second part of it is uh, gone. So do you want to get on your, your page and try to go recover the other part of it off your, your uh, page? I do it, but if if I pull up Facebook, we'll crash my, we'll crash the podcast on my end. Well, so, ask you can ask me the next one. Yeah, I'll move on to the next one. 
So Chad Harrington, but we'll skip to Michael Moulton again. And this is kind of a silly question, but I think it's funny too because I have a little bit of stake in this question uh, for for not the obvious reason anyway. Ever going to sue the creators of South Park for stealing your idea? And then he showed a picture of your painting Mysterion, and then he shows a picture of the character. (laughs) The question mark on the forehead and the M says Mysterion. Uh, And then he says, I kid. Yeah. And then your sister says, wow, I didn't know about this. (laughs) Uh, no, I'm not going to sue them, obviously. But um, funny stories. I met with those guys one time. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, when I was working at Alterian Studios, we were going to do some job for them. And um, hmm. I met, what's the guy with the more like the blonde haired guy? There's the curly haired guy and the blonde haired guy. I met with the blonde haired guy. I think it was Trey Parker. And we we uh, met and discussed I forget what it what it was, what movie it was, but um, it was cool, super nice, really kind of chill, and so there's a little something. Yeah, that's something. Well, <laughs> and, I, and I can say something funny about it because, of course, my my or, all-in-one Oracle and card playing game was called Mysterion, um, <laughs> and that, there definitely was a Chet Zar influence there. And of course, I had his permission for that. Um, and then, lo and behold, partway through that campaign, we we got into a situation where someone else was claiming that name, and it wasn't South Park. Just so y'all know, yeah. I'm not going to say who. I'm not going to say that's who just it was. that's just you know Mysterion. It, is, it, it, it it's happens. Not, it's yeah, and it's not a. Uh, it's a fuck. It's a Greek word. I mean, come on, the word I, is I mean, I, older than anything modern. I know. I know it from uh, Ed Roth, right? Yeah, Ed Roth, Big Daddy Roth. Okay, I'm right. on this thread now. So this okay, is, is it on Harry my page? Roth. It's it's the, yeah, it's the one on your page. Okay, what is the meaning of life? Chet says he says in regard to something you oh, okay. might touch. Okay, I yeah. got it, got it. Look, see more. Okay, in regard, I'll ask the question since I can read it. Okay. In regards to something you and Mike touched on a few podcasts back, I've heard many artists greatly ad- admire recently, stating that they wish they could paint more loosely. And it seems like something they struggle with. Do you think this is because their ego will not allow for it? I mean, by knowing they have mastered the ability to paint super detailed and tight, do you think it hinders their ability to not do it? What are the benefits in your opinion to painting in a looser style faster? I think this is a great question. I do too. That's why I wanted you to go and open it up. Cause I felt like it was an, it was an important one to answer. Shit. I just actually, oh, okay. Sorry. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, uh, I think painting loose is more difficult than painting tight because when you paint tight, you have more time to noodle with it. So you're, you know, you're kind of going in and fixing things more. Whereas when you're painting loose, you have to know what you're doing more. So it's more about, I think, the, um, you know, having the, the mastery to be able to do that to where you're thinking about it. You're getting the right color down and your brushstroke is really counting. You know, you put it in the right spot. So there's less correction involved. So I think it's more of, you know, a, of a show of, of mastery. And uh, I like I just think it's it's easier to paint tight, which is why most people do it. Because it's not, you know, it takes a long time, in my opinion, to, to learn how to paint loose. But that's not, that's just really my experience because I know some other painters who I uh, can't think offhand. I knew one guy especially that was that, oh Jed Likeness. He paints really loose and I think I was talking to him about it. I think it's him. 
I could be wrong, but let's say it is him. But um, this Jed likeness or whoever I was talking to was telling me that's just kind of how he naturally painted, which is really cool, you know. And uh, um, you know, it might have something to do with having a drawing background. Drawings, you know, tend. I don't know, learning on your own, drawing, learning on your own, you tend to, I think, detail things more. I don't know. I'm just going by my own experience. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know that it, I don't think it's an ego thing. I think it's a skill thing, really, you know, and the benefits to painting more loose is, you know, of course that they're faster, but that's, you know, the goal is not to make the fastest painting. You know, that really doesn't factor in as far as I'm concerned. I think the benefits are that paintings tend to look more emotional. They have more energy in them. You could see brush strokes. You know, the one problem with painting tight is that you lose a lot of natural happy accidents or just natural brush strokes that are interesting to look at in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. And that and that could really make a painting feel alive you know whereas if everything is too tightly controlled you know unless that's the the vibe you're going for is very tightly controlled which is certainly valid as valid as anything else Mm -hmm. but i i do like the and i i like it also because it's difficult for me to do and i don't do it as much as i would like to you know I, i a lot of times i will start rough and i end up going in because i just can't help myself because i i do enjoy the detailing process as well so i'm always trying to strike a balance between the two that's sort of my main goal Mm -hmm. you know so hope that all right i think that's helpful uh michael moulton is it open to interpretation or do you specifically create monsters that are attached to or one with and extending from their respective dystopian landscapes or environments? No, I never think of it like that. I all, it's always intuitive. It's any kind of reasoning or logic comes after the fact. Um, And the fact that it always does end up making sense in that context proves to me that they're kind of uh they are real and they are right because they do kind of fit um it's all it's all intuitive to me it's all about mining my subconscious and and just trying to to honor that and and paint them right paint them the way they want to be painted so no i don't really think of it like that that's so to me that's so it's open to interpretation yeah 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 and i know you know i know other artists that plan things and really think logically and i and i kind of admire that because i've just never been really that great at thinking about something plant you know conceptually like this guy has this kind of gun so i'm going to paint this kind of gun and he lives in this environment so i'm going to take this into consideration with the clothing he wears because it works it it makes sense in the environment i just i am not that like that and I, but I think it's cool people that do that. I just don't feel like I'm that talented in that in that uh, approaching things that way. I'm more of an intuitive person. Yep, I would I would and say that, the same. Thing. It works for me. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's my attitude. <laughs> there you go, uh, Vince Kong. Two questions. The first is, what is the most rewarding thing about being an insanely talented dark artist? <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Um, uh, that's a weird question because you answer it. Any any response, you sound like kind of like a dick. Oh well, <laughs> you know, being an insanely talented artist. <laughs> I appreciate the compliment. That's very kind of you, though. Um, I I enjoy being able to express myself the way I want to with paint. I really like that. It's so much fun because I've worked so hard to be able to get the paint to do what I want. Now I can do it and not think about it. And it's, and it's, you know, not think as much. And for the first years, probably the first 10 years, I was really thinking hard about what I was doing because I didn't want to, you know, because I knew there's things that could screw you up, things that could be done wrong. And I finally got past a point where it's more second nature, the way sculpting or drawing is to me to where I could just kind of put an idea on and, and it's, and I don't have to think too much about it. So I don't know if that's, well, that's a great answer. <laughs> His second is what is your favorite go-to item from Zello? He, he, that's everybody knows that everybody that knows Zello, you know that, don't you? Spinach pesto. Yeah, I know you always get the spinach pesto. Spinach pesto. That's not their, their favorite. Their, their biggest seller is the corn pizza, which is really good. It's got corn. It's got yeah, the corn's really good. Sauteed onions. But the spinach pesto is my go-to. It's the best. I love it. It's so good. It's so oily. Uh, I get <laughs> so much olive oil on it. It's amazing. It's just like, oh. Mm. And, and Chuck can only eat two pieces, and I'll sit there and eat four. Yeah, it's true. But when I they have a hollow leg, <laughs> they have uh, specials, weekly specials, and the in as far as the specials go, it's the caramelized onion, caramelized onion and gorgonzola. It's so good, and then you know, so it's caramelized onion, spinach pesto for me. There you go. In, <laughs> here, Kenny, Kenny Rains. This is for Chet Zar and Mike Carell both. Should I trim my hair to get more length or wash it for volume? <laughs> Uh, I, I think you should just wash it for, for volume. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you should do whatever it is that you want to do. And so if you want more volume, wash it for volume. If you want more length and trim it, I don't know what you want. So I can't really, I mean, it depends on what you want. I don't, I don't cut my hair. I don't cut trim anything anymore. I just let it grow. I figure this is the way it naturally goes. So there can't be anything wrong with it. That's why I don't understand getting crap for having a beard and long hair because that's the way it is supposed to go everything else is you know you're going in and manipulating it which is fine and it's it's a choice everyone has the choice they can do that it's cool i'm not against styling your hair in a certain way or it's fun people enjoy it have haircuts but but people shouldn't get crap for having long hair and, and beards because that's that's the that's the the natural state that's how it would I agree. be if you didn't do it. It's called, it's called insulation. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for me, when it comes to my hair, I my hair, I get Velcro ends, you know, because I have real dry hair and I live in a real dry, dry environment. And so I have this long hair, but if I don't cut off three inches, like, you know, twice a year, I get like this crazy Velcro end yeah, situation on where, yeah, but it's like to the point where like, I'll just start getting dreadlocks like crazy right, and yeah. I'll be like constantly ripping it apart, you know, like rip, 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 rip. And so I just, you know, I, and I, yeah, it sounds like that. <laughs> and I don't even, uh, I don't go anywhere to get it done. I just have, you know, I just have, have joy cut it. 
I just like cut off three inches and she goes whack and it's gone. Yeah. And then I'm straight. And you know, I don't know if that helps it grow or not, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. About I that. really, you know, it's funny cause Chet, you know, you wear your hair down all the time and I wear my hair up all the time. We both like to have our long hair. I wouldn't have it any other way. I want to have long hair, but I just can't have it like all up in my grill all the time. I just, but I think partly again, it's cause your hair is like totally a different consistency than my hair, right. you know? And your hair doesn't do the same shit. It doesn't get all crazy like my hair. My hair's a little crazy. So, yeah, I don't know. It's I just, like, it's like I'm, me. <laughs> I'm used to it, so it's I don't even notice it. People are always like, "How do you? How can you stand it?" The only time I notice it is when I'm driving and the windows down a little bit and my hair's whipping all over. But I don't know. I just am too lazy. Lisa was telling me the other day she needs to trim my split ends. So every once in a while she'll trim my split ends, but I don't really care either way. He's too busy painting to worry about all that nonsense. That's right. Jason D. Aquino. I would like you to address the issues of painters, in quotations, who use Photoshop and simply embellish at the very end instead of actually making the art by hand. And then he added his own comment. He says, this is a repugnant practice, and it is mm -hmm. deliberately dishonest, deceptive, and also repugnant. Parentheses. Repugnant, too. <laughs> Uh, so he has his opinion, but he is curious about your opinion. I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know what he's talking about because there was an artist, I forget his name, that was discovered that he did these amazing photorealistic paintings. Like so amazing. And I remember seeing one at the at a gallery and the guy telling me, I was like, No way is this no, this is a photo. And he's like, No, no, it's 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 a painting. It's a painting. Then it turns out, no, it wasn't a painting, it was a photo. Uh, and he prints them out on canvas. And some of them, he didn't even um, embellish them. Just, you know, it was Photoshop of kind of classic, classical paintings that, you know, in, mm -hmm. in, in scenes like in a subway or something. It was a character from some Bouguereau painting in a subway or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the only thing wrong with it is, is if you say that it's a painting. I don't mm -hmm. think there's anything necessarily wrong with doing that. It's a certain, you know, it's a certain collage. Yeah. It's a certain kind of thing. You can, people can do digital prints and just Photoshop stuff in, you know, in uh Photoshop stuff together and print them out and say, this is my art. That's cool. It's not my thing. But if you say that it's a painting and then it's not a painting, that's where it's definitely, I agree with, with um, who asked the question. Jason, 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 yeah, I agree with Jason that it is repugnant and bullshit and wrong. So I think I think that you know if you're being dishonest with what you're presenting, that that's just wrong. Everybody thinks that's wrong. I think mm -hmm. you know it's just common common knowledge. I think if you're lying, it's wrong. <laughs> I agree. All right. Uh, so Michael Costello. Has there ever been any backlash from something being someone being offended by the works? Dark art has some striking images. Um, trying to think. I haven't really had much backlash. Every once in a while, a religious fanatic will say something, but it doesn't happen that often, really, for me. Um, I'm trying to think. The only thing I can think of is when I... I've told the story before on here where I painted or I drew the the uh, the guy holding the dead baby, the seal hunter holding the dead baby, and it said, "What's the difference?" Mm. <laughs> Remember I told you about that, where it was yeah, like yeah, my statement on 
hunting baby seals, and it's the same as hunting babies, <laughs> human babies, and, and it was gory, and the, there was a hole in the baby's head and blood coming out, and the guy was holding a stick with a nail in it. And um, I remember people getting upset because they thought I was saying abort- that it was my pro it was my anti-abortion statement. So people got upset uh, about that, but, uh, and also that it was just so gross to have a student art show, but that was like high school, I think. Um, I don't, you know, I don't get what as, about, what about a uh, Nazi face? Oh, that's true. I, yeah, you're right. You're right. Nazi face. I, you know, when I first posted that, I, I had people asking me, is this pro Nazi, which I thought was insane. Obviously it's not pro Nazi. It was, anti-Nazi, obviously to me, but, um, you know, sometimes some of these icons, cultural icons, they just strike a nerve in people. So I did get a little bit of crap for that. And then I posted it again when all this white supremacy stuff was starting to come out on social media and, um, people loved it for the most part. I don't remember if anybody said anything bad about it, but I did get it, get blocked from Facebook. Like Facebook took it down just cause it had a so I'm posting something that was anti-Nazi just because it had a swastika. They took it down. Mm. Which doesn't make sense. Probably, well, probably because the human's not doing it. There's probably an algorithm, and that shape is fits into that that equation. Well, there, actually, yeah. there, there are people doing it. I because I've I um saw a a news article on it. It's like they got mm. people in the in the Philippines. I think they've just got this huge. And this is one of the places a huge building where people are just going in and they know what they're supposed to, they have a list of what they're supposed to, you know, see what violates the standards and they just mm. go and delete them. So, you know, it's some guy who's deleting 50,000. I figured it posts. would have been automated by now. Uh, yeah. Not as far as this mm. article says. Interesting. So I think, I think because there's a, there is a gray area there, but this yeah. it failed when it came to my um, post. Maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it wasn't the swastika. Maybe it was the intimation that he had an asshole for a mouth. Could be. I've seen people post pictures of assholes though on Facebook yeah. that didn't get deleted. I, whatever. Anyway, it was it was it was some Chet Zar hater. I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> they've got their ways. Uh, so moving on then. Yeah. Matthew Redmond, have you ever heard of any artist being struck with depression after a successful showing? I was recently in a group show. Both of my pieces sold, but I left that night feeling horrible, and it stuck with me for a long while after. Is this common? I have definitely heard that. I've never had that problem. I have too. Yeah. I haven't either, but I've heard that as well. I know some artists that won't, well-known artists that won't sell their artwork because they're so attached to it. But uh, And I, you know, I kind of get that because it's, it is very personal. It is a, it's a, it's a really pure, it can be a really pure expression of your being. So I, I understand that, but you know, it's one of those things that if you're not uh, wired that way, it might be something to, to reconsider because that's part of the game. You know, that's part of the deal. Or you could do, uh, you could only sell prints so that you can keep the original. There, there are, you know, maybe ways of working around that, but it's not uncommon. I think it's pretty common, actually. I think it's more uncommon um, the way I am, which is like, just get it out the door and sell it so I can paint another one. Just get, you know, yeah. I, I don't have that attachment. Once in a while, I'll have more of an attachment. The painting of my dad, the painting of my dogs, those are ones that would never sell. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other ones, for me, it's, you know, I enjoy 
the idea that someone else has it and they're displaying it and, and enjoying it and I'm sharing it and getting paid for it. The whole process is cool with me. So, so yeah, so you're not alone. You're not alone. Nice. Nice. So, you know. Well, and I've heard even artists who they weren't even attached to, it wasn't even that they felt depressed because they had sold a piece or not sold a piece, but because the emotional charge that they generated, getting excited to go to the show, thinking about what's going to happen, who you're going to see, going there and having the experience. And then afterwards, you know, you've been getting this major chemical like hurricane, this flood in your brain, and then it's all over. You know, yeah, the hubbub's over, the be, excitement yeah. is over, the fun is over, you know. And mm-hmm. whether you sold or you didn't sell, you know, you got charged up and now you're depleted. Whatever neurotransmitters were playing the game or, you know, they're sitting on the bench. And so I think that that also plays into it there's chemicals involved in all of that you know when we feel good when we feel bad and so i think that depression following an exciting experience that really you got built up for and then however it happens especially good or bad especially selling a piece that's a big deal it's not easy to sell a painting you know especially if you're a newer artist so i could understand the excitement of like wow i sold two paintings and then being bummed about it but mm-hmm. you know, I would say there, like I said, there's ways of working around it. I would say try doing it some more, and mm-hmm. see if it gets easier. Because a lot of times things like that will get easier as you do them more. But um, you know, it, it's something that you probably should address on some level, because if you are energetically not wanting to sell a painting because it's going to be painful for you, then you're kind of cock blocking yourself in a way it's like you're doing this thing to sell artwork to make a living but then energetically you're like putting out the vibes that i don't want this Mm -hmm. thing to sell because i want to keep it so that's might be a a source of uh you know a conflict so i would try and address it in some way but but you know like i said maybe try doing it some more and and see if it if it gets easier you know Mm -hmm. and also trying to remember you can't you know you can't take it with you there's going to be a time when you, you know you're you're dead and you're not you can't take all your paintings with you anyway. Yep. And everyone is one thing. The universe is one, so you're not giving your painting's not going. Your painting is just you're selling it to yourself in another form. Yeah. Right. <laughs> there's that. That's a good way of putting it. It's true. There's that. <laughs> That's an afternoon. Okay, so I've got the last question here. Uh, where are we at on time, Chet? We're perfect. Fifty-six minutes. Awesome. Okay, so Gregory P. Rodriguez, and this is very specific to you painters out there. Since you use color theory, what is your favorite key color and split complementary colors? Um, good question. Yeah, I use, you know, you there's a book called Color and Light, I think, by James Gurney, which is really amazing. And it's got all these different types of color wheels and the gamuts, which is, you know, the ranges of value in the colors and the it's it's really it can be kind of complicated. And I have to admit, I haven't even read through the whole book because I started reading. It. I was like, this is too much for me. I can't deal with it. So I use the very basic color wheel theory, which is the three primaries, red, blue, yellow and um and the uh, the secondary colors, which are uh, you know orange, purple, red, blue, green, and you know you basically, as far as figuring out a, a a color palette for your painting, you know you know that if your painting's overall got a reddish tone, you might want to throw some some greenish stuff in there to draw attention to an area or create interest. So it's not all one one type color. 
So I do use it in that very basic way. And also, as far as mixing colors, if a color's too red, I'll add a little bit of green to mute it, gray it down. If the color's too blue, I'll add a little orange. Really, really super basic, though. Um, so uh, with my own paintings, I use, uh, I tend to, I don't really have an, a go-to color. I guess yellow ochre is a big one. I uh um, I'm just trying to think here. You know, my stuff is very grayed out and I and I don't think in terms of color very much. I'm thinking more in terms of value. So uh you well, know in I, each series of paintings you do is plays on a completely different kind of color. I mean, that's why it's so obvious to say, like, oh, they're blue period, they're whatever period. Right, because right, right. like you have, you know, when I look at like 10,000, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, each year has kind of a color scheme to right. it. And I know you didn't really, most of the time anyway, go out of your way to choose that, you know, rather yeah. you just felt felt right and you liked it. Or I wanted it to experiment. Pleasing to you. Yeah, or, yeah, I wanted to experiment. Sometimes like the, mm -hmm. uh, right, right. the Lilith series, that was all cool purples. colors yeah purples and blues, blues. And, and i'd never done that before so i wanted to do that and then the uh ugly American. 2010 was like real yellow lots of yellows and oranges yeah, i know what you're talking about yeah and then um ugly american there was like a purple this kind of mushroom trip influenced purple electric purple and um green thing going on that i tried to or magenta these magentas was that, and purples and is that like with uh, i am the owl that, that yeah was that from mm -hmm. that yeah yeah, I thought yeah. So. yep and uh so you know i'll go through i i will do from time to time try different color palettes right now my thing is kind of getting back to my older stuff you know where i was doing really earth tones although these these paintings ended up being pretty colorful for the fear but um i started with a very earth tony palette. Um, you know, I, I try, like I, I keep things very at this point, I'm usually starting off with, you know, God, everything is just, it's more about these cool and warm grays more than anything, you know, hmm. and putting them next to each other to, to that's what I've been lately. That's kind of my thing. I saw this, uh, great, talk by that Vincent Desiderio I mentioned last time that yeah, Kenny, yeah. Kenny Rains turned me on to and he was talking this really he made such a great point it's like I knew that but I never thought about it like that and he was like you know the general rule is warm uh, cool highlights warm shadows or warm highlights cool shadows that's just kind of the way it always works so but he made a point of when you're talking about turning a form, he's like the highlight. If say, say the light is uh, cool, your highest highlight's going to be cool. And then your local color, the main color on there is going to be warm. And then as it turns over the form, it's going to be cool again. And then as you go into the shadow, you can use something more neutral, but, but, but against the cool turning color, the neutral shadow is going to be warm. So you've got a cool, warm, cool, warm thing. And, hmm. and which is really interesting. And so I've been sort of trying to do that in that late, like within the last few days um, to where I'm really trying to put cools and warms against each other. And it really makes a huge difference. And, and, but I'm mostly working in these grays, like black and white and yellow ochre or raw umber. And then, 
toning it with a little bit of alizarin crimson or a little bit of, of a, for a, or, or um, cadmium red for a little bit warmer or yellow ochre a little bit warmer and then um, like a blue for a little bit cooler of a gray and then I'm kind of trying to put those next to each other and anyway I don't know if I'm that's going, cool going off into technical shit but no I'm following it I'm not a painter and I understand what you're saying okay, I mean good. obviously I've studied art obviously so I understand art right. and so it makes sense to me but I, what you're saying makes sense I mean I can I can envision what you're saying so, yeah you know, you're not going you're not going off on too much of a tangent besides I I I believe that the vast majority of the people that listen to this are involved in painting yeah <laughs> I just yeah I have a speaking suspicion <laughs> well plus even the I think the collectors are interested in and in technical stuff like that you know, I yeah. think. Well, people, I'm interested. Yeah. I'm not even a collector or go. a painter. So. Right. <laughs> Good. No, that's cool. It's very interesting. I mean, I've always, I found that stuff interesting when I was in school too. I yeah. I find art interesting. I find color interesting. I find value interesting. I I like that kind of stuff. I mean, but also I love illusion, and mm-hmm. illusion is what that's all about. I mean, yeah. when you think about it, you know, because when you're painting, to me, painting is very much the process of manifesting an illusion, whether that's loose or tight. You're taking and creating something that a person will look at and categorize in their mind in such a way as to identify it a certain way. It's an right. illusion. Yeah, right, absolutely. and the depth field that there's any kind of actual depth field within this flat surface, it's an, it's mm-hmm. a, it's an illusion. And I love illusions. I've always loved illusions. I love magic, esoteric and exoteric, and all of it. It's fun. I mm-hmm. mean, I like to be tricked. I like that moment where everything goes from being one thing to all of a sudden being another thing. And that moment is just powerful because it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it just tells you how, how tricked you can be and how subjective your perception truly is. And so yeah. I love that about it because, you know, it really calls into question the solidity of this thing we call reality. And I think that painting is certainly this, uh, you know, a process of generating I- illusion. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you guys are certainly illusionists in your own right. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I also love knowing how things work too. I've always been like that. I love to learn how. Like how, your mom said, you'd, she came home and you'd taken your entire bike apart and she was like, what have you done? And you were like, oh, I wanted to, wanted to know how it works. And she was like, are you going to be able to put it back together? And you were like, yep, no problem. And she said, yeah, sure enough. There you had it. Yeah. I'll put it back together. I remember taking, I took every part of my bike apart, even the brakes, you know, it, was, it wasn't the handbrakes. It was the, the little you know, drum breaks or whatever. I took the whole thing apart, put it back together. It's fun. I just love doing that. And then, you, you know, you do things like take a part of tape measure and realize there's no way to get it back together or a, movie, <laughs> right, right. a super eight movie camera, which I did, which is stupid, but I do. Yeah. I love those, how it's made shows, anything that shows a process, how something is created. I find really interesting. I like to know how things work. And that's, that's part of the, and the, and you're right. The, I was into magic when I was a little kid too. Like, you know, like, card magic and stuff which is funny too watching salem's lot that little kid his 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 bedroom is all all the stuff i it was so weird the only difference was between me and that kid's room is that his was really clean and mine was like (laughs) really messy like porter style your your kid's room was like was like the curio shop in gremlins whereas yeah yeah (laughs) and so but he had all this like aurora plastic monster models and horror movie posters but then he had also magic stuff which, yeah you know like a little magic table i noticed yep. and i was you know i was t- that's like a common thing and, and i uh especially with um uh, effects people too because mm-hmm. that's totally all about illusion those are oh, ma- yeah. makeup effects is totally magic tricks totally man yep. 
Yep. So yeah, that's it is a kind of common theme. <clears throat> I agree. Well, interesting. Well, that's a fun way to stop it anyway. Sure. All and right. it was the last question that I had screenshot. So cool. Well, we got through it. Well, thank you guys. We'll have to do it again. Seems like everybody, like you said, Chad earlier, they really enjoy it. Yeah. Now we got to think of a topic for next week. Shit. Dum, da, dun, dun. <laughs> well, um, thank you for listening. Please, yeah, we super, we yeah, really appreciate it. Yes. Please review and uh, rate us on iTunes and SoundCloud and elsewhere. Yeah, it helps. Yes. The more people that, you know, the, those, those systems catalog us. So if we get more interaction, then they're going to have a greater chance of, you know, promoting us because they're going to get more hits off of it. So and, it's a win-win. And people, friends of mine even are like, where can I hear your podcast? Still to this day. So it's wow. still slowly making the rounds. But I, I do want to mention I'm having this sale in my store um, that's only going to be up. These things are only going to be available on my website uh, through October. That that's it. Halloween. Then that, no more. Yeah. yeah. I might sell them at conventions maybe, but I'm not going to offer them for sale on, on a website. So it's the horror movie study, horror movie icons from horror films studies. I did a couple years back as, um, eight by 10 open edition prints. They're only 10 bucks. Normally they're 20 bucks. So it's a really good price. And I also have a Freddy Krueger, uh, limited edition and a Michael Myers limited edition. And uh, those are all, all that is only going to be up for the, the month of October, trying to get things, you know, get myself and everybody else in the spirit of Halloween. So uh, that's at chetzar.bigcartel.com. So you can check that out. Uh, that, that was yeah. And I mean, think about it. You could buy four of those for 40 bucks, which would normally cost 80 bucks. A, I know. Really I mean, yeah, people are. I'm getting stuff orders for you know, seventy bucks or eighty bucks, and it's like you know, huge like, oh, orders. Shit. Yeah, ten prints. That's kind yeah. of a lot. So it's it's yeah. really it's a really good deal. So, uh, and then Get down. It, that's that's chetzar.bigcartel.com. Yes, and thank you, and keep the ideas for topics are welcomed as well. You know, yeah, definitely. On the, you guys can go. Yeah, you guys can go over to facebook.com forward slash dark art society and you guys can always engage there. You know, you can post pictures of your work. We always look through our public posts. We interact with them. They get likes. They get engagement. Um, you can also, like Chet said, pose subject topic ideas. Yes, because we're always interested in what you uh, are interested in hearing. The only things I hear some good topics, but some of them I don't want to do because I only want to do stuff that we kind of know about. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's the one yeah, thing. Like, yeah. Like, th like uh, Richard Ingersoll, because he had suggested, I think it was, uh, he had suggested to us that we do more talking about pantheism or talking about non-dual reality or whatever. And, and that's a great idea. But like you said, you know, we're not aficionados yeah. on that particular subject. It would be, it's kind of be like a, a rolling conversation, but if we were to get like Martin Ball back, okay, well then that right. makes sense. Right. Yeah. I'd like, I, I want to keep less just like, I don't know. I don't want to just be talking. Chet and I can talk on our own <laughs> for hours and, and have it amount to nothing more than talk. <laughs> yeah, right. We don't want to, we don't want to bore y'all with that. Yeah, I want it to be informative and useful information. So I'm kind yeah, of this shy away from stuff. Like that. Yeah, so. Anyway, cool. thank you, Mike. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And Tune in next Wednesday for another yeah. episode of Card Society Podcast. All right. Bye, y'all. Peace out.